You're listening to Drinking Socially, the official Untapped podcast. Your weekly look into what's happening in the Untapped community and the world of beer. I'm Kyle. And I'm Tim. Drinking Socially is released every Wednesday morning and can be found at podcast.untapped.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Goal! It's, it's my goal here to get us to episode 17. Uh, I've got I've got soccer. I've got football on the brain. Oh, yeah. Big nothing, time. Nothing but. If I'm a little loopy today, I've been up since 5 a.m. to watch the first game. How many uh, days this week have you done that? Oh, uh, that's the first so far. Okay. But okay. we definitely, the 8 o'clock games I've been trying to catch. But this is the first 5 o'clock for the uh, Portugal-Morocco game. Do you have a favorite uh, match so far? Is it Spain-Portugal? Any any favorite match? You've got to keep in mind that this comes out next week, and there could have been a spectacular game in the meantime. Oh, yeah. But do you have a favorite match so far? Um, So far, I don't have a favorite match, but... The one from this morning, the Portugal Morocco match was intense. Mm-hmm. Like it was a it was a one one zero win for Portugal, but like Morocco was just playing so well. Nail all over. Yeah, no, it was it was. I, I mean, I was I was almost too tired to be worried, but also worried. <laughs> it was a very strange feeling. Yeah, yeah. I I mean, beer and sports go very well together. Uh, we covered last week, I believe. Uh, a uh, no, a couple weeks ago. Talking about Iceland and uh, and the batch that we've got to kind of celebrate their first uh, go at the World Cup. Yeah, that's they, for sure. The we also had the adopt Iceland badge right, that is running. Right. So it's here. It's here. Um, and I guess we're. I don't think we kind of paired the today's beer with the World Cup, but you know, I, I feel like we're trying to get a little more worldly. Get, inject a, a, a little bit more world beer culture into this show. So what do we have today? Before I go into what beer we're drinking, I should probably precurse this by saying that we will be butchering some of these words. We're going to try the best we can, but Dutch is in no way a language that I speak. <laughs> so today we have something that I'm very excited for. This is uh, Duchesse de Bourgogne, and it is by Brewery of Verhage. Okay. I th- I, fair well done. I'll say myself, I, I, I wouldn't know any better. But I'm, I'm uh, like looking at my notes at my phonetically spelled out uh, name so that I knew what to say. Yeah, yeah. Good luck with the rest of them. So what kind of beer is this? Uh, I, I should say that Tim is pouring it out of what looks to be like a 750 milliliter bottle. It is pretty deep green, the bottle itself in color. The label is turned to the side like you would for, say, a, uh, a wine bottle, one that, that should always lay on its side. It reads almost like a book. Like if you stack this in a, a shelf as an old, an old book, you would, you would kind of, you know, taco neck it to the left and, and be able to read, read the title of the, uh, of the beer. Yeah, so this one, it's a 6% ABV uh, Flemish red ale, or as we have it categorized, a sour in the Flanders red ale category. Wow. That that smell. Oh. It's a so when Tim poured it, uh, lots of head. Oh yes. in here, but very it, foamy, but not in a uh, like hopped beer kind yeah. of foam. Not this in is, a pour too hard overflow sort of way. Just in a, it created this nice. It is a velvety like. Oh yes, just a, a blanket of foam on on a a wonderful bed of what smells to be a pretty malty sour. Well, for the uh, creation of this one, after the first and secondary fermentation, the beer actually goes into oak barrels to mature for 18 months. And then after that, the final product is blended with a younger eight-month version of the beer. So it kind of gets that mix of the old and the new. Uh, And then the average age for one of these is actually um, about 12 months. Before being bottled. Yes, correct. All right. Before being bottled, it's about 12 months. When you calculate like the average between the 18-month and the three-month, or the eight-month. Got it. Okay. Okay. Um, it's described with having a smooth, uh, rich texture, um, with kind of the interplay of passion fruit, chocolate, and has a long, dry, acidic finish. It's surprisingly sweeter than I expected. I would say so too. Um, I love, love, love the, the, the mouth, the mouthfeel of this. It is like super tiny bubbles, almost, um, in a, a champagne-esque kind of way. Mm-hmm. Um, very smooth. Super smooth. Especially for a, a a sour, a beer that is on the sour side. Uh, I get the sour up front. It's not like um, it's not like the sour bomb where I feel it in the back of my mouth, no. like the the puckering. But it's it's got that 
sour taste on the front side. And then it kind of smooths out into a sweetness as it goes down. It is a sweet chocolatey, like you said, almost yeah. finish. I kind of which get... I would not expect at all from a sour. Yeah. Um, and the, I, the, the, the actual like acidity part of that doesn't sound like it would go very well with the, the chocolate flavor, but it's the chocolate I would say is very mild. It's almost like you got a super dark version of, of a chocolate bar and you took a small bite of it to try and, you know, round out a, a whole bunch of other flavors. Oh yeah. I can see that. Um, and the acidity actually, I, it sticks around a little bit. I'm not sure if I just said that. Like it's uh, like in the back. Yeah, I, yeah. I get that. The, it does describe it as having like the long acidic finish, and I kind of I feel that in my mouth a little bit. Yeah, p- uh, pucker in in like um, in not a sour way, but in a an acidic way. How can I how can I kind of differentiate the two of those things? Like it's lingering. Yeah, I'm, I'm and, not and, sure. And how to... with with sour, maybe it's the sweetness that that's imparting that that lingering factor to it. It's not like uh, a warhead where yes. it's like, oh, boo, you know, boom, yeah, no, big not punch in the face. Not at all. It it's, is. It's nice. It's long yes. and, and drawn out. Um, mm. It I, makes you want to take another sip. Yes. For it, sure. It's not like, oh, my God, that was like a punch to the face. It's just like, oh, that's sour. But now it's kind of rounding, rounding out. For a little history, Brewery Vrage is actually a small family-owned brewery in the southwest of the Flan- West Flanders province of Belgium, hmm. um, and the history of the brewery actually dates back to 1885. Wow. So it's <laughs> it's been around for a while. Yeah, and just to give, I guess, some statistics for this particular beer, uh, did you mention that it was 11 IBUs? So it's a... On the lower end of oh, bitterness. Oh, very low, yes. Yeah. You, there's a like there's a tiny bit, but it's hard to really pull out of the kind of the, the fruity acidity, acidity sweetness. Yeah. yeah. Um it does mention that it won a gold medal at the World Beer Cup. Okay. And it is rated it is rated exceptional by the Beverage Tasting Institute. Well, it's rated uh on average three point seven six by the over one hundred and forty five thousand ratings on untapped. Hmm. So Pretty high, uh, I would say. Maybe less so for for a sour. Flanders and sours tend to to be a little polarizing for for some users. The folks who do like it like it a whole lot here in in my highlights. So, um, admittedly, when I go for a sour, I tend to want that um, that hop or the the the, the pucker bomb, the mm-hmm. like sour punch. I tend to shy away from anything that's like. Belgian or you know like Cezans and Flanders and I tend to shy away from those mm-hmm. and I often end up regretting that because there's something about them that's just so much more enjoyable and I don't, I don't know I think I tried one early on when before I really appreciated it and um, it, it jaded me a little bit hmm. but now I'm kind of I'm I'm going back and the more that we try these different styles the more I'm really enjoying it I frequent this style quite a bit when it comes to bottle shares or like uh, dinners with family, things like that, because it does tend to come in, the style tends to be in larger bottles. It's made to share. Oh yes, definitely. Um, and I can't really see myself drinking, drinking that an, whole thing. It's basically drinking a bottle of wine. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, obviously much lower ABV. Yes. But just the, the sheer volume of liquid, uh, tends to be a lot more than I would want to have uh, of a particular beer. Just as as examples of ones that I have had that are kind of in the same style, uh, the Sang Noir from Cascade. Uh, I had their 2015, and that's that is um, another Flanders Red style that is aged probably similarly. I don't get a lot, I should say, of this one that we're drinking right now. I don't get a lot of the oaky qualities of it, where it it, it dries out in a, a super oaky way. Um, but I tend to associate the sour flavors with the barrel aged flavors as well. Sometimes, yeah, especially the, the you, did stuff. you say Cascade? Yes. Cascade, yeah, definitely yeah. for that. I remember we went to the Cascade tasting room in up in Portland. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and I thought it was really cool. I, their sours are all delicious. And one of the interesting, like unique things that they had there was they actually have what they call the, um, live or active cask. Or barrel, I think. Okay. Basically, they have one beer that is actually still actively fermenting mm. that you can get. And if you try it, 
like one week and come back in a, another week, it could be completely, completely different, different because it's still wow. an actively fermenting beverage, which I thought was really cool. Huh. It's like a kombucha. <laughs> Do you have any uh, examples of, of ones that you've liked of this style before? Uh, taking a look at my history here, um, I actually, there's a, I had their Creek um, from Cascade, mm-hmm. um, which is also categorized as a Flanders Red. Yeah. Um, give that a five. Uh, Yearling from Eagle Rock here in Los Angeles. Um, that one is also categorized in there. Um, that was a good one. Uh, another one here I have too from Carl Strauss uh, is actually called Flandiddly Anders. I remember that one. Yeah. 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 Uh, we discussed that in one of our first episodes. The badge. Yes. Okay. Uh, yeah. The badge that we yeah, had. Yeah, the yeah. core badge. Yeah. That's why it sounds familiar. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, okay. That makes so much more sense now. But yeah, that's another one. And looking at them, um, they're all rated pretty high in my um, in my past here. So I enjoy it. I, I, I'll just, I'll, I'll wrap it up by saying I really, really enjoy this beer. It's different from my typical beer repertoire. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Um, and to be honest, it's not something that I think I could have. Like, this is a style that would I would have one, you know, one time and then maybe again in a little while like i need a break in between this isn't a back-to-back style for me (laughs) the i think you would though uh probably gain a greater appreciation for this style doing them back-to-back or that's true really kind of trying to stick to you know i'm gonna go all belgian ales and i'm going to uh try four different belgian focused uh sours or flanders you know creeks like you said um yeah i th- it would probably improve our palates a bit yes. and we could probably differentiate them a little more than just saying like oh sour sweet yeah. uh you know barrel aged i get it all but i i can't really differentiate them within the breadth of their own style yeah that's a very good point just goes to show to continue exploring yeah have any of you had this one let us know what you thought on twitter facebook or instagram by tagging us at untapped All right, now let's take a look at some of the more recent badges that we've added to Untapped. Uh, we talked last week about the core badges, the new core badges coming up. Those should be out very, very soon here. Uh, Hopefully they're out by the time this show hits uh, hits the internet. Hits the shelves, yeah. Yes. Uh, <laughs> but we've got a couple of other badges, uh, some sponsored badges and stuff to take a look at. So what have we added? The first one we're going to take a look at is uh, a core badge, but... Obviously, only for a limited time. This is our World Pint 2018 badge. Obviously, tying into one of the most watched sporting events around the world, the World Cup, which is currently going on. Never heard of it. Then what have we been watching? What what have we been... Oh, 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 oh. Oh, you're talking about the World Cup of soccer. Football. Ah, that's right. Not not foosball. Not... uh, Okay. All right. (laughs) I don't know. It doesn't matter. Uh, Yeah. The World Cup is in full swing, and we're celebrating with this new core badge. Uh, check into any beer from two different countries that are participating in the World Cup between June 14th and July 15th, and you'll unlock this year's World Pint Batch. All right, so what's next? We've done Belgium. Who is Belgium playing? Saturday, they are playing Tunisia. Let's find a uh, a Tunisian beer, I guess? I, I don't know. I'm going to have to do some digging. Yeah, you can find a list of all of the countries that are participating on our blog over at blog.untap.com. And for most of those countries, there is a link to the top beers from each of the countries. So if you want to get an idea of um, Ah. some of the options out there. Now moving into some of the uh, sponsored badges we have for you. The first one up is hashtag find the giant 2018. This is from our friends at Trogues for their seasonal Imperial IPA, which is called Nimble Giant. Uh, Fresh Simcoe, Mosaic, and Azaka hops are plucked and brought back to the brewery. And then they use an innovative hopping technique that they've dubbed the Hop Cyclone, uh, which continually moves the hops around, um, coaxing all of the delicious grapefruit, huckleberry, and pineapple notes um, that are in the hop oils to mix throughout the entire beer. Mm, that's That sounds incredible. What I'm thinking, I mean, I, this is obviously very crude, but I'm thinking like a salad spinner, but for hops. <laughs> yes. And you keep just, just there's, pushing there's it. someone who's just kind of, you know, pumping the salad spinner so that they get the they get the most out of those hops for, for your seasonal Imperial IPA from Trogues. You can unlock this badge by checking into one Nimble Giant from Trogues between June 13th and July 13th. That's what I'm thinking. It, that's who the Nimble Giant is. 
so the, uh, the nimble giant pushing the very large salad spinner known as the hop cyclone just over and over so that they get the most that's out of really it. That's really fun. That's a really fun image. That's what I'm I saying. I like it. I hope that's, I, I want that to be true so Tro- bad. Trogues, I'm available for, for can art if you need me. <laughs> the last one we have for you is make it a blonde summer. This is coming from our friends at Guinness. Uh, light up your grills and get the steak sizzling and don't forget to grab a crisp, cold Guinness blonde lager. It'll definitely cut the heat. Hey, you've got one right there. I'm, I'm Vanna Whiting it over here for Tim so that he can see that I've got a, a an unopened uh, bottle of Guinness Blonde. Looks good. You can uh, unlock this badge by checking into one Guinness Blonde Lager, as you would expect, uh, between June 25th and September 25th. Want to show off your love of untapped? Check out our online store and pick up untapped branded glassware, shirts, sweatshirts, hats, and more. Go to store.untapped.com and enter the coupon code podcast at checkout to get 20% off all orders. That's store.untapped.com. Coupon code podcast to get 20% off. Let's move on to our style of the week segment and take a look at this week's featured beer style. Here's Tim with more. This week, appropriately, we are going to be taking a look at the Flanders Red Ale. All right. Hey, look at us. Tying things together. All these things together. Yeah. Perfect. Uh, Belgium's brewing history is one that is most varied and diverse, as I think we can all agree. Lots of history going on in there. Um, And then more than any other country, Belgium has really held on to those traditions throughout history. Well, obviously, all countries and all breweries tend to explore and try new things. I I think it's safe to say that many of Belgium's breweries have held on to all their longstanding traditions and continue producing all these beers that they've been making for for forever. I mean, with the one we're having today, the brewery dating back to 1885, not to say that this specific beer was brewed then, but I mean, I'm sure... Well, I think it, it not only does it say something about the brewers, but it also says something about the folks who do drink it as well. Their tastes have been, I guess, cultured by these beers for such a long time that that's, that's what they like. They know what they like, and it is produced at such a high quality that they've been able to stand the test of time and are still around today. Yes, for sure. Um, the Flanders Red Ale or Flemish Red Ale um, is one such beer that has stood this test of time. Uh, The style gets its name from its birthplace, which is the West Flanders region of Belgium, and its color, which usually ends up something along the lines of ruby to deep red, kind of burgundy end of the spectrum, which, I mean, I 100% get with what we're at here. This is a little more on the brown side, but it's hard to tell through our, like, slightly (laughs) opaque glassware. I'm sure if I had a real glass to put this in, it would... um, Store.untapped.com. Coupon code podcast to get proper glassware for your uh, Flanders Red Ale to be able to to actually see the color. Pouring it into a pint glass, which is completely not the proper glassware for a Flanders Red Ale, you can definitely see the red. It's a very deep, like, dark. Yep. Deep amber. Ambery uh, red. Leaning towards red, yeah. Yep, for sure. Um, That's standard for this style, obviously, with the red being part of the name there. Yeah. That's store.untapped.com coupon code podcast. (laughs) For your proper glassware. That's right. Don't forget. Yeah. Should I? Maybe I should buy you some. I feel like it's my duty, maybe just to make sure that you. I could just lean back here and maybe grab some. Yes. But is it? <laughs> Traditional Flanders brewers often produce their beers from moderately kilned malts, um, especially Vienna and to a lesser extent Munich malts. And they also tend to use low acid um, British hops as well. Mm-hmm. Um, hopping levels are usually kept under 10 IBUs. Right. Um, with this one we're having today, we have it listed as 11. So it's pretty close. We cranked it up to 11, I think, just to make sure that we got that uh, that good, good uh, bitterness. Yes. Balanced, you know? Mm. Unlike most other beers, the byproducts of microorganisms that many brewers try to avoid, um, including lactobacillus and uh, bretomyces and acetobacter um, they they actually help define the flavor and aroma of the flanders ales um, obviously most brewers don't want that bacteria in their beers unless obviously they're purposefully infecting it do you know if it is a combination of these different bacteria that kind of impart the flanders with that or is it like you know you're going straight lactobacillus or you're going straight Brettanomyces? 
or anything like that. It, it a lot of the traditional um, rely on the wild yeast, kind of ah, the stuff found so in the barrels, so not, not be, stuff that's been added. Got um, it. Actually, the the Flanders ales um, they're usually fermented with a pure strain of this is going to be a mouthful right here. Saccharomyces yeast, uh, and then they rely on the resident wild yeasts and bacteria that are in the oak barrel uh, to acidify the beer over a period of up to three years. Got it. Okay. All right. So, so, so they, I think they put a little bit of a starter in there and then rely mostly on the barrels and what's going on in there. Well, and, and all that does is probably make it so that whatever uniqueness that the beer that is produced has can only be the result of that brewery and even that barrel. Yeah. So it can, it can become very, very, very specific to the flavor of that brewery. Oh yeah. And there was a, there was an article um, a while back. I don't know if we ended up covering it, but I, I read through it as a potential article um, talking about uh, breweries that do traditional like open fat fermenting, um, for with allowing wild yeast and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of times they, th- even if the ceilings are falling apart, they will not repair it because you put something new in there, you're going to lose that, it, that um, whatever's in the wood paneling or yeah. in the room, all that wild and active stuff in there. Yep. Um, kind of like a cast iron, right? When you, uh, you want to buy somebody's <laughs> used cast iron because it's already nice and tasty. Yeah. Seasoned. If seasoned. You would. There we go. That's what I, I was looking I, for. I like, I like my brewing facilities seasoned. Yes. Mm. Mm. Um, alone or in large concentration, the microorganisms, they are not very appealing. Um, but in the correct blend, they can compose a truly sublime beer, which I think we're experiencing right now. Yeah. Now, <clears throat> curiously, I, I don't know if you have the answer for this, but I would, I guess, put it to our listeners to, to educate us on this, or we can do some extra research. But this particular beer we're having today is a blend. It's a blend of younger and older. Yes, right, 18, kinda... 18 month and eight month. Right. So is that because of flavor or is that for some other reason? Is it to balance the, you know, certain barrels that are, you know, fermenting a little yes. bit longer and are a little more sour? You know, is that a common practice? And it, it, and does it, does that happen here as well? That is correct because the blending of um, beers is pretty common. Um, blending kind of different ages helps balance out the acid character. Mm. Produces a beer of reasonable, if not identical, consistency. Okay, so it it kind of helps the breweries have a consistent product year to year, batch to batch, et cetera. Yes, okay. you balance it out. Um, you keep the old one going and... Taste it, make sure it's mm-hmm. kind of got those same qualities that you you expect from the beer that you're producing. Yeah, and to your point, the older the older age is going to have a wildly, probably stronger, more acidic flavor from all the crazy wild yeast in there. Yeah. So you take some of that, cut it with some of the cleaner, fresher beer, and you just find the right balance there. And this really does... I mean, it sounds more like art than science. Oh, for sure. To me... Uh, yeah. Even though, you know, we're talking in in terms of like the actual uh, technical scientific names for these these bacteria, but it does sound like it is very artful and, and almost uh, to the level of, of culinary expertise that you would need at brewing expertise that you would need to make this kind of thing happen and taste the same, you know, batch to batch to batch. Well, and if you think about it, when these styles came about or with such a long running tradition on these styles... The, when they were first trying to figure out what to do, they didn't have labs. I don't think you had a mm. test tubes and you're not, you're not microscopes. Send, I'm not sending my Flanders Red to 23 and me to to see what's in there, right? <laughs> yeah, you're not. Is, you're not. This is this is pure lactobacillus. I'm going to put this in. No, you're you're just you put it in a barrel and you yeah. see what happens, yeah. and then you <laughs> through I'm sure much trial and error find what the perfect blend is. And that's, again, with the tradition, I mean, I'm sure so much work goes into upfront trying to find the perfect blend that once you find it, you don't touch it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. It makes sense. Um, as we did note in the beginning, we were talking about this red, uh, Flanders red ales do have a very strong fruit flavor, uh, as similar to the aroma, but a little more intense, which I do get. Like the aroma on here, it's sweet, um, but the sweetness of the actual flavor uh, is a bit stronger. And they, they do present plum, prune, raisin, raspberry. Those are kind of the most common flavors that people tend to pick up, hmm. um, followed by orange and some spiciness, which I would guess the spiciness kind of falls with the acidity. Right. Uh, is is either balanced mm-hmm. or is... Um, 
tempered i guess by by the acidity where you get like the sweetness but it is balanced by those other flavors the spicy and the the sour yeah and then the the sour or acidic taste can range obviously from like moderate to strong Mm -hmm. um again i'm sure depending on the balance of the blend um and what you do there yeah and again once we also another thing that we pointed out is uh there's typically no hop bitterness Right. Um, I feel like there might be a tiny bit in here, but I'm not picking up on it. All I'm really getting is the sour to sweet to acidic with maybe a little bit of like... It probably helps to keep it dry and and not so uh, quenching and, and bready. Uh, you would... A, a taste that is commonly associated with beer, with Belgian beers is like that, that the very... The yeasty thing. Yeasty, that's, that was one of the things characters. that kind of threw me off from yeah, them. Yeah. Well, and, and a lot of times, too, that's that's the Britannomyces imparting that, that very kind of distinct yeasty character to it. But I don't get any of that in especially a, a Flanders uh, ever. So... It's really good. I mean, this is a, this is a style that again, like I've had quite a few mm. of them, um, but I do I tend to lean more on the local stuff. I won't really branch out towards the the Belgian stuff, not only just because of the size of the bottle uh, or the price, but because it's not what I know. Um, this is and, true, and I I think knowing that there is a lot more history behind it, and that the place that it is brewed really does impart that much more character to the final product. I, I, I kind of, I want to taste your brewery, you know, like I want to, <laughs> I want to taste the roof. I want to taste the, uh, <laughs> I want to taste what your place is about. Yeah. And, and if it's, if it's like a location in a bottle almost where like, this is, this is the, this is what that place tastes it's the like. Es- it's the essence it's of the, essence the, of, of that. the brewery. That's right. Yes. It's, it's like, uh, uh, Beer is the essence of wetness. Wetness is the essence of beauty. Oh, Zoolander. (laughs) Yeah, anyway. (laughs) All right, let's look at some of the interesting beer articles that we found this week. First up, uh, we have an article from Reuters that ties everything together that we seem to be covering today. Mm. Moscow runs low on beer necessities for thirsty World Cup fans. You always joke about this, like, oh, no, we're going to run out of beer. Yeah. And it's actually happening. Wow. But but the World Cup is happening across multiple cities this in is Russia. This true. Right? And yes. Moscow is only one of them. Yes. So what 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 is happening there? Why, why have they run out of beer? So beer-guzzling soccer fans risk drinking parts of Moscow dry, with some bars and restaurants in the Russian capital saying they are running low and having to wait longer than usual for fresh supplies. Wow. Uh, here's a quote from one waiter in an upscale eatery in central Moscow who asked to actually remain anonymous so as not to give away the restaurant he worked at. He says, we just didn't think they would only want beer. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let let me, let me ask you, this is sort of unrelated. What do you think a pint is going for in us dollars at one of these stadiums during a game? What would you guess? Depending on I'm uh, absorbent compared to what it normally would. It's gotta be like, like. $12. I'm sure because I believe that beer costs more than say vodka. And if they're again, like if they're having to import so much of this for the, the folks who are maybe coming over from other countries or are not native to Russia, this is, it's gotta be so, so, so expensive. I did find a note here that four years ago, the world cup in Brazil, they were actually selling beers for three to $4 uh, at the stadium. And then at the Confederation Cup, which was in Russia recently, they were selling for four to five dollars U.S. in the stadium. So maybe twelve might not be accurate. No, but granted, it's the World Cup and not the Confederation Cup, so who knows? Yeah, but I think, but still, uh, it seems as though the price of beer is a lot lower uh, comparatively than you might expect from major sporting events that that we have been to here in the u.s things like the big mac are cheaper prices for beer wine soft drinks also significantly lower according to the dailymail.com so that could also be sort of a part of this equation where you're used to paying eight dollars a pint when you're at the the premier league stadium uh back home and you go out to russia and it is half the cost if not lower you're just you're, you're going to have two more. You're going to have four more. Go for it. Yeah. Exactly. 
Um, the waiter at this restaurant also said that uh, his restaurant ran out of draft lager on Monday and deliveries are taking longer than usual, at least 24 hours, because supplier stock is also running low. Oh, no. Beer sales in Russia have fallen by around a third over the past year as duties have risen and rules have been tightened on sales and advertising. Um, Brewers had not been expecting uh, such a major reversal of the trend this year. Again, like if you're watching the trends and you're trying to prep for this mass influx of people, you think, ah, it'll be fine. No worries. Uh, we, we've we seen sort of a decline and they hosted the Confederation Cup. So it's doing... They they sort of had like this teaser trailer you think. for the World Cup and, but and nobody nobody paid attention. Well, no, I think this is just out of the ordinary. Yes. for for this area, this is true. Yeah, uh, Dimitri, who's a barman at a trendy uh, courtyard bar, said that visiting soccer fans had drunk eight hundred liters of beer in three days, downing the cheap lager before moving on to the more expensive bottled beers. So they're they're drinking them out of out of house and home there. Oh it, yeah, it just whatever like you it's... can get your hands on. It seems like <laughs> I like this quote to wrap this up here. The sun makes them thirsty, he said of his customers. In Russia, we say to the bottom. I like that these guys are embracing our culture. Yeah, I guess so. If when, when in Russia, right? <laughs> <laughs> next up, we have an article from the New York Times. Your next hotel may have an attached brewery or distillery. I wouldn't mind that. It would it would it then okay let's let's think through the scenario in the app would it say brewed by Marriott? No, it would not because as this article points out, it's not the hotel that's brewing; it is the attachment of an existing brand. Uh, but also think okay. about those things that have been in the news lately. You've got um, Brewdog yeah. opening their want to, wanting to open their hotel. Right. Uh, Stones talking about doing it down here in Escondido. Yeah, Russian River in Santa Rosa. Mm-hmm. So the article says, capitalizing on a growing love of craft beer and spirits, more hotels are adding on-site breweries and distilleries to lure travelers into destination trips and longer stays. So following the path blazed by winery inns and microbrewery hotels like McMinimins, which is the chain of hotels in Oregon that kind of started it all, um, a new crop of American hotels offers not just a comfortable bed and a leisurely stay, but also an adult beverage you can't get anywhere else. Okay, so so Brewery 6, like Motel 6, but, you know. Ah, uh, yes. Okay. Yes, uh, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. We'll, we'll leave the keg on for you. <laughs> I like that motto. It's a good one. Uh, the Source Hotel in Denver actually features a branch of New Belgium Brewing that's devoted to small batch and sour beers just off the lobby. Oh, that sounds incredible. Right? Yeah. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. That place is going to be packed for GABF. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's you got to think it's probably booked by now, right? Mm-hmm. It's got to be. Um, another big player in the craft beer business, Stone Brewing, which we were just talking about um, in Escondido. They plan to begin construction on the Stone Brewing Hotel across the street from their brewery, Stone Brewing World Bistro and Gardens Restaurant. I've been to that place. Mm-hmm. It's really cool. Yeah. Their gardens are fun. Um, it's nice for me. It's family friendly, which was nice. Mm-hmm. Um, they have some good food in the restaurant. But around the brewery, it's empty. Like the the space surrounding it. So I can totally, like they capitalize on that land nearby. Yeah, but part of Stone's problem if, if you would, right now, is that they host their annual festival on Cal State San Marcos campus at the moment. And going up those up and down those stairs with so many people is becoming even more dangerous every single year. Well, now they'll have some space they, at this hotel. They need this space. And, and I think every single year, uh, the folks going out to their anniversary events are clamoring for this brand new hotel. Sounds like a good win for them right there. Yeah. For fans of craft spirits, the 1927 Vintage Cavalier Hotel in Virginia Beach, Virginia, um, reopened in March after a four-year and nearly $85 million renovation that included adding a working distillery. Tarnished Truth Distilling Company uh, makes bourbon, rye, and vodka at the 85-room Grand Hotel and supplies its spirits to hotel bars, including the Hunt Room, which was said to serve bootlegged drinks during prohibition that's pretty so there's cool. some nice history right yeah, there. yeah a little history for for uh, a place like that and especially in the east coast it's hard for us to put in perspective sometimes being over here on the west coast everything is new being able to tie it back to something you know older like that and and prohibition era is very very cool yeah, I like it's that. a really nice tie-in i i like this concept i feel like to a degree it it's okay. it's so kitschy, but also I like it. Like to have a tap in your the whole like you have taps in your room. Like first off, 
they're going to measure that and you're going to be charged per whatever you pour. Oh, most definitely. It's not like free taps running in your room complimentary. If, if that's the case, then they're going to have some liability problems I, I will, for sure. I will be taking a shower in a logger, though, which <laughs> yeah. is, I mean, that's, that's, that's how that's going to work. I, you know it. But here's what I'm thinking. We've also talked about sustainability, right? Yes. And the uh, using spent grains to do things, make, make food, make bread, um, using it as fish food, et cetera, mm-hmm. uh, breaking down plastics and stuff like that. Could this hotel sort of be its own mini ecosystem where it utilizes spent water, gray water to power things at the brewery. Not saying that you brew with it clearly, yes, but power things at the brewery. Um, I've, I have slept on, uh, pillows made of like hulls of, uh, not barley, but yeah, yeah. that general idea, Mm -hmm. right? Like you could, you could fill pillows with things like that either in the lobby or or elsewhere. You could Um, use the spent grain to raise, um, local cattle, cattle uh, or fish as well. We've covered that before, which then could cycle back into serving. Right. Um, you factor in solar power, maybe wind or even something to do with that gray water. Yeah. You've got another Avenue there. It just seems like, like there is a, there's a lot of opportunity. There's a lot of opportunity that, that if these, these different breweries and these hotels are looking for ways to, uh, be more sustainable that it kind of feeds back into itself and i see like like you said new belgium and colorado could definitely be leading something like this next up we have an article from avclub.com get to know heisler tv's most popular fake beer now have you ever watched a show and you see them holding it you're always like no just turn a little bit more because i want to know like what product placements there? Just put your hand over the fingers. Just kind of have to wrap over the name yeah. so that you don't see it. You know. And there have been shows where I, I see the label and I kind of like I try to pick it out because I've looked at so many beer labels at this point. And you're like, okay, I kind of see some letters. I it's I think it's red. Does it look like Heineken? Yeah. Or what? Yeah. What is it? And I've all, I always try and figure that out. There's some that are very obvious products placements. Mm-hmm. I mean, but then there's a few that you're like, okay, this is not something I've seen before, but I really for some reason want to know. Well. This actually answered it for a couple of shows that I have watched. Um, The article does go to say that though some disagree, drunk people don't make great sponsors. Uh, It's rare, after all, to see someone chugging Bud on screen. As such, this has necessitated the need for TV shows and movies to scrounge up fake suds, uh, a search that's proven to be very lucrative for one of the makers of Heisler a non-beer that you've seen getting downed on shows like New Girl, Stranger Things, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Wow, that's, I I mean, it makes sense, obviously, right? Like, you go and watch um, Law & Order SVU, and they cover the Apple logo, because they don't want to pay them money, right? Mm-hmm. They don't, yes, it's a silvery laptop, you get the idea. Yeah, exactly. But it's not, it's not uh, you know, name brand water, name brand brewing. Exactly. Yeah. Um, it, I, I've seen these, this is the, my comment about trying to figure out what the bottle was, was relating to new girl um, specifically because uh, they spend a lot of time in a bar there uh, and they always have that red label with an H and I was always trying to figure out what it was. <laughs> I was like, it can't be a real brand. Now, hold on. Was this pre HD, like watch it on DVR later or watch it on Netflix later? No, it was definitely DVD or um, DVR, but I don't have HD. So ah, it was a little fuzzy. Yeah. So you, it would be, pretty difficult for you to tell i think it now being in the last whatever 10 years right where mm-hmm. network tv shows are hd you can very easily pick out what those n- name brands are enhance yeah it, exactly that's exactly <laughs> it you you are definitely able to tell what the name of that beer is and, oh yeah and you kind of like oh okay maybe it's a craft thing or maybe it's a you know it could be anything yeah. and i'm sure this is now that this has come out it's going to be a craft thing someone will name their beer after this uh that's interestingly enough they can't and this article will explain okay which i find very interesting too um let me get through this really quick um heisler comes from studio graphics the in-house graphics team at prop house independent studio services um it manifests in a number of different iterations from the original heisler gold ale to heisler light and a vintage edition used in shows set in the 40s through 80s to be clear though this isn't a real beer which made patenting the thing a bit of a headache. Ah. We were the first people, according to our lawyer, that put a patent on a fake brand, says Molly Rummel, 
uh, the assistant manager of Studio Graphics. Uh, she also says, it's like, it's not real, but we're still trying to patent it like it is. It's one of those things where other people don't do it, so it's really exciting to be on the forefront of that. Curious. I, 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 mm, not knowing anything deeper about the troubles that they've gone through, I wonder if there was a point in which they were like, maybe we just have to brew this. Maybe we have to put water in here and say it's a quote-unquote non-beer and package it and sell it directly to the studio so that they can put it on set rather than it being just a trademark or just That's a, an interesting you know point, what I mean? yeah like was there a point at which they considered we have to actually make this a product in order for us to be able to patent it yeah properly? and i can imagine uh, having having gone through a bit of the like trademark process putting you're basically you're, you're trying to patent something as if it were real even though it's not real and i can't even imagine like there are so many categories and specific things like that's not that's not in the checkbox anywhere i just love that there's also it's not just a it's not just only a fake beer but it's also fake beer history they've been bottling it since the 40s through the 80s yes exactly you know it's (laughs) it's a it's a brand that stood the test of time yeah exactly but it but it hasn't it's it's obviously very fake so i will say when you started this article and 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 kind of walking us through this whole thing I thought you were going to talk about Duff, but Duff is now a beer that is brewed in Florida and served at, you know, the different uh, Universal Studios. Yes, I had so, it here in Hollywood. Yes. Very cool. That was very satisfying to go and have a Duff at the Duff Brewery right. in Simpsons Land or whatever. I, I, that is one of those experiences where I'm like, no, nah, this is just, this is a cartoon thing, right? Nuh-uh. Nuh-uh. This, it's a real beer. So one interesting thing, too, that I like about this is fake or not, Studio Graphics is committed to realism. Instead of filling the bottles with water, they bottle them with non-alcoholic beer so that when they're popped open or poured, they seem realistic. Okay. That is commitment. That is absolutely commitment. Very, very interesting. What a process for for prop masters and and folks managing all that stuff. Yeah. And some other shows that this has actually been featured in uh, Bones, you got Burn Notice, Uh, now you're speaking my language csi Ah, okay um let's see what else do we have here gilmore girls glee heroes the league um, malcolm in the middle okay (laughs) dating it a bit yeah you're getting a little deep uh some of parks and rec Mm -hmm. it's actually in the social network that was the bottles in mark zuckerberg's apartment all right Okay, then now my mind's getting blown here. This is pretty cool. So now we're going to go back in time. We're going to go, I'm going to go watch everything and be like, I know what that is now. That's what I'm saying. So what, can you say the name of the beer again? Heisler. Heisler. All right. I'll keep an eye out. The last article we have here, I picked out just for you, Kyle, because okay. I thought you might appreciate this. It comes from Cincinnati affiliate WLWT. That's a mouthful right there. <laughs> a Cincinnati Brewery is again canning pickle beer. Okay. A Cincinnati Brewery is canning pickle beer in collaboration with a hometown deli. So it reminds me of an article uh, that we read a while back where Schmaltz teamed up with, what was it, Barcade to create a pastrami beer? Yeah, pastrami pills. Yes, I remember that. And they didn't, they didn't actually use any meat in creating that beer. No, no, it was just like a pastrami flavored, uh, it says, authentic pastrami notes evoked by ingredients like a pinch of kosher salt, a dash of pepper, and some smoke. It, uh, it included Munich and Pilsner malts. And it had hints of caramel, caraway seeds, and uh, rye bread flavor, it says. So kind of like deli, like when you walk into a deli, right? And you are just blasted with a wall of, you know, rye bread. And like, oh man, that pastrami's been stewing in, in its own juices forever. Uh, it just sounds incredible. Like Cat's Deli, right? Yeah. Never been, but boy, do I want to get out there. <laughs> now you got to take that one and pair it with this, right? I guess so. What we would need the toast beer, and then we need we would need the pastrami beer, oh. and then we would need the pickle beer. It'd be and a, then follow, a we need to follow it up with another toast beer, though. Do we have a mustard beer? Is a there mustard a mustard beer? Mm, mm, okay, so two we we bookend the the two <laughs> the two bread beers. Well, now we need to find we need to find some mustard, and what what else do you put it on? Uh, Pickles, pastrami. No, just pickled mustard, mustard pastrami. Sauerkraut, maybe? There may be a sauerkraut beer out there somewhere. I'm sure. Yeah. There's got to be. Anyway. (laughs) Mm. It sounds so good, though. Yes, it does. Uh, Urban Artifact, a popular brewery in Cincinnati's Northside neighborhood, is teaming up with Izzy's to release Urban Artifact Pickle. Very creative name. Yeah. Uh, It's a wheat beer with a sour finish. Uh, Pickle is a traditional German goes brewed with a thousand pounds of cucumbers. 
two pounds of fresh dill, nine pounds of sea salt, and 1.2 pounds of coriander per 30-barrel batch. Okay. They're really going for it. That's a lot to put in one batch, but you got to think. You're trying to kind of get that very, very specific cucumber flavor out of all that, right? Yeah. Do you crush them? What do you do? I, that's a guy... That just, would just be a funny picture, yeah, just floating around in there. Yeah, just dump it, dump it a bunch of cucumbers in there. Uh, you could probably scare a bunch of cats with them, I, I would assume. <laughs> scare all the brewery yes. cats. Yes, indeed. Um, I have actually had a couple of cucumber sours before. So is this a sour beer? Uh, yes, it's going to be a Goza. Okay. Um, I have had the Samuel Adams Goza that was uh, cucumber flavored. Uh, I have also had Cucumber Crush from Tim Barrel Brewing Company. Yes, I remember when that one came out. I wanted to try it. I never did. It's a beautiful can. Yes. You know, very, very simple, minimalistic. Yep. Um, I've also had the Cucumber Liner uh, from <laughs> Toolbox. So two of those well were, done. were Berliner Weiss uh, and very, very good. But I, Adding I that think, salty character of the Goza would be really a nice touch. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And uh, I think I'm, I'm, re- I'm ready to try this. Like it, like you said though, maybe two toasts and a and a pastrami in the middle, or maybe yep. we just go and get a pastrami sandwich. I mean, really cut out the middleman. Yep. Um, Pickle was a fan favorite from the moment it hit shelves last year. Said Scotty Hunter, a chief strategic development for Urban Artifact. Uh, we are excited to offer pickle again for our fans and pickle lovers alike. Nothing goes better with a burger or a Reuben. Oh, Reuben. Okay. All right. So, so that's uh, rye bread, Russian dressing. I think it's Russian. Yeah. It's, I mean, obviously like a thousand island type. Thousand thing. island. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, I'm sure this would go. And I'm now I want this to go with any burger or sandwich that I have. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Hold, hold, sorry. Hold the pickles. Hold the pickles. I'm, give me the beer. I'm drinking the beer. Nice. Now it's time to answer some of your questions. Is there anything you've wanted to know about Untapped or beer in general? Send over your questions using the hashtag AskUntapped on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. This week's question comes to us from James on Twitter, and he asks what the difference between gravity and hand-pumped cask beer is. Okay. Like the how you get the beer into the vessel that you want to put it into yes it, exactly from not... the cask to your uh, to your serving aware of choice okay be it a glass or a boot or just straight into your mouth so for gravity's sake we're talking about little g we're not talking about like specific gravity uh we're, you know original ta- original gravity total you know yeah we're talking about the force that will pull it towards the ground i understand all right, all right. good um so 9.8 meters per second squared is the acceleration of, of gravity. So that's what that just, that's what we're, okay. All right. Your, your chemistry and <laughs> physics background <laughs> okay, blow my there mind. You go. <laughs> uh, first up, uh, there's gravity drawn. Um, this is most often used at special events or beer festivals. Um, basically, a tap is placed in the front of a cask and gravity forces it out as you would expect. This allows the beer to be appreciated in its purest form as there's no agitation. It just pours out. Just imagine a big barrel. You it's a, stick it's a, a it's a pitcher. You stick brought, a thing into it, yeah. and it, it just flows out. Okay. Um, it, it's harder to mask flaws in this uh, sort of serving method, mm-hmm. um, especially if it's undercarbonated, because it's just it's going to slowly pour out, and you're you're not going to be able to do it's anything. Taste flat. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's harder to regulate the temperature of gravity drawn casks because they're typically tapped and set out on the counter until everyone's finished it. Um, obviously, it's not in any sort of refrigeration. It's just left out at room temperature. Um, but there are something called cask blankets that are used to help cool it down. Um, but they typically have to be consumed quickly. So imagine like a cold blanket or an insulated blanket that you can throw over the cask, specifically for a cask, nonetheless, yeah. to keep it cool. Um, the other option here, which is the hand pumped, it's actually, it's oftentimes referred to as a beer engine. Um, you've probably seen those mostly in um, pubs where you have the, the hand pump and you kind of draw the beer out as you pump it through. It's what powers untapped on the back end, I think. Yeah, there's some... The, there's the beer engine. The nimble giant. The, he's also pumping right, just, for us there. Yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, before modern refrigeration, um, the using the beer engine, um, the beer was allowed... Uh, the cask could be stored in the cellar um, and then drawn up through tubes to the bar through the hand pump. So instead of just having to sit there and let it trickle out, you could actually use the pressure in the air from pumping hmm. to pump it through a line 
and store the cask in another location, example being the cellar. Got it. Which okay. was cooler than room temperature. Sure. Yeah. But that doesn't, that's not going to impart any additional carbonation. It is putting it back under pressure, but it's using that pressure then to move the liquid rather than to add, you know, to carbonate it or to put other things in it. This is true, but the, the hand pump agitates the beer. So it kind of takes away from the subtleness because you're like, you're, you're forcing the air in there to suck it up. So it's not just slowly pouring out into like this smooth gravity drawn, um, you know, way you're actually forcing it. So it's going to move things around. Sediment's probably going to get moved around a bit. Um, this does though, extend the life of the cask because obviously you're keeping it in a cooler place as opposed to room temperature where it may go bad faster. But to the same degree, if the lines that you're drawing the beer from the cask through aren't properly insulated, then you're going to run into the same issue and beer could be above ideal temperature when you serve it. Um, uh, there's also an issue here where uh, many beer engines or the hand pumps, as you will, they obviously they have that like gooseneck thing going on. Right. Have you seen that? Yep. Um, at the end, they have this little plastic thing called a sparkler. Um, it goes on right at the end of the spout. Um, it's a plastic cap with small holes that spray the beer into the glass, which gives it that kind of nice sort of foamy head that it gets from the cask. Right. Um, there's controversy surrounding whether the use of the sparklers, um, have any effect on the flavor or aroma. Some people think that it actually alters it a little bit. Some people don't. Um, ultimately what it really comes down to is personal preference. Um, if you can notice the difference between the two serving styles or not. Yeah, I've seen that and I always kind of wondered, you know, what did that play a bigger role than just kind of like uh, basically putting a spout on the the front of a hose, mm-hmm. a fire hose, uh, or, you know, what what that was imparting on the Well, now, beer, that, but... now that I'm thinking about it, after reading through getting the answer here, um, thinking back to the few times that I've gotten a cask um, beer, how when they pump it, it's not just like a, a stream. Right. If you look at it, it's, it's spraying in all directions in that cup. Yes. Yeah, at, at least going out to the side. Yes, exactly. I've seen, I've seen it sort of be like splay out mm-hmm. to the, the left and right. Yeah, and so that that obviously that causes agitation to the bubbles, which cause the head to form and the foam and yeah, yada, yada, yada. Hmm. Hmm. So, and very interesting, though. I've never had a gravity-drawn cask, at least to my knowledge. Uh, festivals, like you said, probably is, is where I would have uh, it, yeah. ever had something like that. Um, but, but I can't. I can't remember. I don't think I've ever... I don't think so. I highly, Not for me. I highly recommend Ferkfest in Orange County mm-hmm. in Anaheim. Uh, it is an all-cask festival that is probably majority uh, gravity-drawn. Very, very good. Lots of unique beers, you know, casked differently. Um, peppers, fruit, etc. Yeah. Very, good. very, very good. Lots of one-offs, I'm sure, that are... Mm-hmm. All right, show notes are available at podcast.untapped.com. And if you've got any questions for us or you've got feedback, be sure to connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. It's at Untapped Everywhere. And if you could take a moment to head over to Apple Podcasts and rate our show, maybe write a little review, we would greatly appreciate it. We always want to hear what you think, and we try to take all of your feedback to heart and um, make some alterations here and there to make sure that we are giving you the best podcast possible. Until next week. Cheers. Cheers.